0: Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be starting off in the first 10 verses uh, there this morning. Um, now, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm sure that you have, but we're kind of heading into that part of the fall now uh, where the weather is starting to, kind of finally, starting to get a little bit colder. Okay, today was maybe not the best example of that. Uh, it's a little bit warm out there, but have you noticed some of the mornings are a little bit chilly? I don't know if you had to scrape ice off of your windshield yet. I think I've had to do that once Uh, so far. But it got me thinking this week about the time in my life uh, where I was just the coldest. Can you think back to like an actual time where like I was never more cold than I was in that moment? For me, I can easily remember it. It was my first year of of college and uh, a bunch of friends and I, actually students and I, in my first year of college uh, went kayaking late fall uh, up in like I don't know, Algonquin Park or something like that, like in these rapids, right? Seemed like a good idea at the time. It was a terrible idea. It was so, so cold. It was frigid, and so we were out in the water. We were going through rapids. We had, I don't know, we had uh, like like wetsuits, partial wetsuits, but our hands were exposed. Our faces, of course, were exposed. We had helmets on and all of that, but after about, I don't know, like an hour of doing that, I'm sure it took a lot less, we were (laughs) numb and all I remember is when it was all kind of said and done I remember we took turns going kind of going into the van and getting changed and I was I was in the van and um, I was I, my, I couldn't feel my hands my hands you know when they're so cold that they just they hurt they just ache and you're trying to kind of blow on them but even that hurts it's like feels hot and burning. I remember they, it, it was an awful feeling I, mean, I was trying to like just pull my pants up with my wrists like it was the most pathetic thing in the entire world. I was freezing. My hands were so cold that I literally I couldn't hold on to anything. Right? They just they just stopped working. Okay, well, the book of Galatians as we have been kind of working our way through the first chapter so far is obviously on the importance of the gospel. Right? The importance of the gospel. It's the, it's the good news that Jesus Christ alone saves us and and he satisfies us. Okay, we're we're not saved through our Moral behavior, we're not saved through our our good works, and we don't find lasting satisfaction as believers in in anything that the world has to offer us. Okay, through the through the gospel, as we've already been talking about, we learn just how much our God loves us. He loves us so passionately, right? And all of that, that's supposed to inform our our identity who we are as people. It gives us that, that inner security that we so desperately want inside. It gives, us, it gives us endless joy. It gives us exciting, real, lasting purpose in life. Here's the thing, though. Okay, on, a, on a heart level, you and I, we, we forget all of that all the time. Right? We, we forget in our hearts and we drift away from all of that. You know, Christians everywhere, you know, still think that that, that they need to you know, impress God through their behavior. I, I still need to, to earn His His favor through my performance. And okay? we, we forget that Jesus already did all of that for you in your place. He did it all. You know, or, or or some of us think that, yeah, Jesus is really great. Okay, but, but true, real, lasting satisfaction is not found in him alone. It's found in other things or in other people. It's found in, in, in having like a huge bank account. It's found in having the nicest car or, or, or sexual pleasure or, you know, having a you know, super fit body. It's, it's, it's as though our hearts are like my frozen kayak hands. Right, they, they have a hard time hanging on to the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ's awesome gospel. Right? Our hearts, they just don't function properly. They have, a, they have a really hard time hanging on to all of that, uh, believing in it, resting in that awesome truth, finding hope and, and finding joy in that. We love to go to other things. We love to kind of let go of it and running in a different direction, right? And, and maybe you found this. Have you found this? You just find that the, the truth of the gospel just keeps slipping from your grasp. Okay, well, today our, our, our passage that we're gonna be looking at in the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter two uh, shows us a situation that the, that the early church kind of found themselves in where, where they were faced with a, with a pretty serious challenge that required that they hold firmly to the truth, the message, the reality, of the gospel, or, or suffer. All right, so let's take a look at this here. I'm going to read this, verse, starting in verse 1, chapter 2. It says this, hey, Then, after 14 years, I, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Okay, this is Paul, of course, talking. He says, I went up because of a revelation, and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles." And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. God, hopefully we are starting to recognize just how fickle our hearts are. Lord, how slow and, and, and hard our hearts can be at really, truly grasping the truth and the awesome reality of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, you have died to rescue us. You have died to fulfill us. You have died to satisfy us and bring us hope. Lord, you have done it. Lord, forgive us for the times where we think that we need to add to all of that, that I need to somehow bring my efforts and my work to the equation, to the table. Lord, that is so backwards. And so God, I pray that as we again plumb into the depths of the gospel here, Lord, I pray that our hearts would remember it. Lord, I pray that we would hold on to it firmly. Lord, not not loosely where where we drop it, but Lord, firmly where it is ours and where it informs how we live, God. It's not just a Sunday school story that we tell little kids. Lord, it is the truth that governs my life. Lord, would you do this? Lord, we need you desperately. Your church is hungry for you, Lord. Would you meet that need with yourself? Would you give us your presence today, Lord? Would you be honored through this time? We pray it all in Jesus' righteous name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, first thing here, you've got some notes in your hand, and I know you've probably got a pen and you're ready to go here. All right, well, here's the first thing. It says we must hold firmly to the message of the gospel. All right, realizing that our ministry fruitfulness is at stake. It's at stake. Do you realize that? Okay, so last week we talked about how how Paul was responding to accusations uh, from, from some false teachers that were kind of coming in and running amok in this uh, kind of brand new Galatian church, and they were, and so they were claiming that that Paul got his gospel message, that he was proclaiming. They were they were claiming that he he just kind of made that up, right? He he invented that. He kind of came to it through his his own reasoning, or or maybe he just kind of got it from the from the Jerusalem apostles, from kind of mission headquarters and all of that. He just he just went to them. They kind of told him, and that's what he's sharing. And of course, they weren't big fans of the Jerusalem apostles either. They had, you know, already, okay, they had already been slamming them as well and saying that that gospel was false. and And Paul was like, was like, no, that's not accurate at all. He's like, the gospel that I got, the gospel that I have been proclaiming for all of these years, I got straight from the mouth of Jesus. I got it. I got it straight from him. You remember it says. Uh, it says from Revelation, direct Revelation, verse 12, showed us last week. He got it straight from Jesus. Jesus himself spoke it to him and told him what the gospel is and what he is to do with that. Okay, and he says this. He says, I was proclaiming that gospel you know, way before I ever met the other apostles. Okay, Now, it kind of brings us up to our verse, verse 1. He says this. He says, then, then after 14 years, okay, so that's a pretty significant amount of time. Then after 14 years, I went up again. Into Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Okay, so all these years later, he goes, he goes now back to Jerusalem to, to finally meet with kind of the, you know, a bit of a larger council of, of the apostles and the, you know, the disciples of Jesus. And, and, and who does he bring with him? Well, he brings with him his, you know, two of his most trusted ministry partners. That's who he brings. He brings uh, Barnabas and Titus he brings these two guys. Now, Titus, he's going to play a really kind of important uh, role here going forward. We'll get to all of that in just a minute. But keep going here, verse 2. Okay, so he goes up. Uh, why? Why does it say that he goes up there? Because of, uh, because of a revelation. Okay, so what do you notice about this? Who's directing all of this here sovereignly? Okay, the answer is Jesus, right? Jesus is the one Right, who has who has gotten has urged Paul through direct revelation, made it very clear. I want you to go to Jerusalem and meet with these guys. It's amazing to see the, um, the, the incredible sovereign hand of the Lord on the early church. And listen, nothing, nothing has changed, right? Jesus isn't like I, I used to kind of you know care about what was going on here and in the, in, in the details, but now not so much. Now it's the same exact thing uh, today. Okay, the exact same thing. So he goes out because of a revelation. And it says that he set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, at first glance, when you kind of read that, the way it kind of strikes you is like maybe Paul was thinking, oh no, you know, what, what if I've actually been proclaiming the wrong gospel all this time? You know, what if... What if my message, you know, isn't accurate and, you know, I I better go to these guys and make sure that what I've been teaching has been, you know, right all along. Okay, but that can't be what he's saying here, right? That can't be, that can't be right for a few reasons. Well, first of all, you know, after getting his message directly by revelation from Jesus Christ, why in the world would he feel like he needs to go get authorization from a person, right? There's just no chance. That's not, that's not what he was doing. It's, he wouldn't go that way. Right, and another reason, why would he wait 14 years for this? Right? If he was in any way unclear about what the gospel was, don't you think he probably would have tried to figure this out like in day one? It's not like 14 years of, uh, of preaching the wrong thing. No, that, that can't be it either. And also don't forget that Paul already told the Galatian church, he's like, if I change my mind here on what this message is, even if an angel were to appear before you and, and change the message... Okay, what did he say about that? He said, I, he includes himself, I should be accursed. I should be accursed. He repeats it two times. Okay, so that, that can't be it. Paul wasn't doubting okay, the message here that he'd been proclaiming all of these years, but here's what he was concerned about. He was concerned about the fruitfulness of his ministry. He was concerned about that for sure. Now just imagine the scene here and imagine what would have happened if the Jerusalem apostles did not endorse Paul's gospel. Can you imagine if they said, "Mm, no, that's not actually uh, accurate at all? What if they they didn't stand up against these false teachers who were adding works of the law to the gospel that, that Jesus Christ did at all? Can you imagine the damage that would have been done here in the early church? It would have cast a, an extremely negative shadow over Paul and, and over all of his uh, ministry for sure. It would have allowed the false teachers to creep in and feel like, all right, now we've got our rule of the roost here, and it would have allowed them to completely destroy the Galatian church. Okay, so you see the stakes here, how high it is? Okay, Paul's concern that, his concern was that it, all the work that he had done all of these years, all these 14 years, Right, all, all, all the work that he was going to do, it, it was going to be, as he, as he puts it here, in vain. In my, that's what my concern was. And okay, now we're going to unfold more of this as we go here, but, but Paul and the apostles is really cool. They, they hold firmly to the true message of the gospel here, which ensures that all the ministry that had been done and all of the future ministry that would take place in future you know, days, weeks, months, years, centuries, all of that uh, doesn't fall apart. Right? It would remain uh, fruitful and, and grow and bear even more fruit uh, going forward. You can just see here that the, that the leaders here, Paul and the other Jerusalem disciples, they're uniting over this difficulty and they're galvanizing. And hey, listen, they're going to go do even more fruitful ministry. And we're going to see that happen here as we go. Now, all of that, what's taking place here in this context uh, in Galatia okay, and that and in Jerusalem, that all might seem a little bit remote to us. What does that have to do with, you know, the 21st century church, right? That's great to hear a story, Pastor Mike, about what, you know, Paul and the apostles kind of dealt with here, but but it doesn't really matter uh, anymore, does it? Well, well, think about it. When God protected the Galatian church then, okay, what was he doing? He was protecting us now. He was protecting the church going forward. The the, the message of the gospel remained intact. There was a a threat of works being added to the message of grace here, and the Lord preserved all of that again. So there would be much more fruitful ministry going out uh, across the world uh, until the Lord returns. Okay, that is a huge deal, right? That That is a big thing and an awesome thing just to see the way that the Lord has has preserved his word. And listen, we need to be like these guys in here. We need to, to hold firmly to the gospel today because, because whether you understand it or not, our, our fruitfulness is actually at stake. Our fruitfulness depends on it just like, just like theirs did. Now you, you may not think that, that this type of thing could still be an issue today in today's church, uh, but let me tell you, it is. Gay okay, it is today. Again, the issues that we are faced with in, in today's context, in the 21st century, it's not, it's not circumcision, right? It's not, it's not food laws. We're not pushing those things on people uh, for sure. Okay, but you better believe that we are all still tempted to fall into you know, good works are enough, anti-gospel systems of salvation and living. Now, let me give you an example of this. Okay, One of the most... Common for sure, and and seemingly you know innocent anti-gospel messages that's that's out there today and plaguing churches and infiltrating you know Christians of, of all different ages and, and and threatening the the fruitfulness of believers in the church is the false gospel of behavior modification. Okay, are you a, are you aware of this? Have you heard of this? Okay, it is. It is rampant in the church. It is rampant through, you know, in children's ministry, in, in youth ministry. It's, it's, it's rampant all up in the way into adult ministry as well. And what is, what is behavior modification and the false gospel of that? Well, well it's an exclusive focus on the law. It is, it's an exclusive focus on rule-keeping and external behavior. All right, it really is, but but in a way that completely severs it from the bigger picture, and from the truth uh, of the gospel. Okay, so let's use let's use children's ministry as an example here. All right, and, and, and try and help you see how how this can can be a problem. It can be a problem in our parenting uh, as well. In, in children's ministry, uh, what we can what we can do is we can we can tell kids that they need to what obey their parents and you know and don't lie and love their sister, okay, this is how we, you know, this is how we sometimes operate. In other words, what are we trying to get them to do? Behave like good little boys and girls, right? Behave well, okay, which, which kind of sounds right, right? I don't think we should have zero focus on, on, on behavior, right? I think that's a, that's a bad plan as well. And so it sounds kind of right, but what's, what's the problem with all of this? We're focusing on, on rules and law and behaving and performing and all that, what's the problem? They're not good little boys and girls. Right? They're not. Yeah, they may be very cute. They may be very sweet, but if you're a parent, you know. Right? You get it. Your kid, you know, you you have all the Instagram posts of your cute little family, and you've got all that going, but you know, behind closed doors, your kids can be difficult. Right? It can be it can be very, very hard, right? And the reality is, our kids are broken and lost, okay? And and trying to behave well does not fix that. It does not fix their brokenness. It does not fix their lostness, okay? The message of, of behavior modification is barely even half of the message that they need to hear. That's barely half of it. Now, don't get me wrong. They do need the law. I'm not saying they don't need rules and they don't need all of that. They do need to know what God's standards are. They do need to go know what, what God expects of them. They need to know that they should obey their parents, okay? that they, they, they should not lie and that they should be kind to their sister. Okay? But if we, if we end the message there, okay, they leave kind of thinking what? Right? They leave thinking, well, okay, well, if I, I guess if I just sort of obey you know, pretty well, I guess. You know, then I guess I'm I guess I'm all good. I guess I guess the Lord and I are, are good, and and you know, I guess, you know, I guess maybe He'll love me then if I do all of that. Do you see the danger in this? Do you see the danger in in, in, in behavior modification? Because kids learn very early on to base the relationship with God on what? Their performance, not Jesus Christ. And then what ends up happening? They grow up and they move into youth group. And then what happens in youth group when it's about behavior modification? It's just, it's just laws and rules and performance and behavior repackaged. It's just a bunch of different rules. It's don't, shrink, don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex. You don't do all of those things, you're a good little Johnny, off you go. Right? And, and then what happens? They grow up from there and they become us. Right? And then we've got, again, it's just repackaged again. It's about like, well, I should probably be a good husband, and I, I should probably, you know, pay my taxes, and there's this book called the Bible I should probably, you know, read, so I'm going to, you know, check mark all the boxes, you know, there, and again, it's, it's performance, 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 and, and before too long, you know, we've just basically behaved through our whole lives like a bunch of circus animals, right, like trying to please our master over and over again, and we wonder, why is my heart hard? Right? Why do I not care about the Lord? Why, do I, why am I so slow to obtain and receive and love the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I have the reason why. It's because we don't spend any time in it. We don't know it. We don't teach it. We're not discipling people in it. And so they grow up years and years, and we're the product of this. Where We're like, I don't care about church. I'm just going to come here. I'm going to show up. But the gospel is not driving me towards greater love for Jesus. It's not driving me towards greater obedience because I actually want to. I'm doing it as just a big behavior sham. Ugh. Okay, so done with that garbage. Can I tell you that right now? Is that like clear? I hope I'm being really clear about this, right? Barf, okay, holding, holding firmly, okay, to the message of the gospel, okay, back to our kids again, all right, means not falling prey to this false gospel of behavior modification, Refusing to ruin their fruitfulness and our fruitfulness because we've got the message kind of half right. We're focusing on them just behaving well and complying with all of the rules. And that's, that's basically it. Again, give them the law so that they know what the rules are. They know what the standards are. They know that God is holy. All of that. But then also show them the rest of the story. That's what we are committed to in our church. That's what faithful people are doing down the hallway in harvest kids right now as we speak. Okay, I heard a message not too long ago, it wasn't in our church, but it was to a bunch of kids and, and literally it was you know, bring them to the law, show them that if they obey their parents, it will go well with them. Okay, so obey your parents, obey your parents, obey your parents, off you go. Behavior modification. Where's the Jesus in that? Where's the reality that, listen, they can't possibly obey the law. They're broken. They're lost. That's why Jesus had to come. He came and did it in their place. Show them their lostness. Show them their brokenness. We will do that at this church. Do it in your homes as well. And then point to how awesome Jesus is for taking care of that little problem for us. Right? Show them. Point to the gospel. Point to to what he has done righteousness does not come from outward performance from behavior because our hearts are warped and and sinful and in need of a complete and total rescue that we we can't carry out that mission only jesus can and guess what did right he did it through the cross and so our job as the church on all levels, harvest kids, harvest youth, young adults, adult ministry, in your homes, husbands, be leading in this with your wives and with your kids. Be leading, proclaiming the gospel, making sure that you are do that, doing that accurately, okay? faithfully, and consistently you don't do it once a year at Easter, I'm going to read the Easter story. No, constantly. When you're talking with your wife, when you're talking with your kids, when you are praying between you and the Lord, reminding yourself of the gospel constantly. Holding firmly to it so that we can be a church that is truly fruitful. Do you want that? A church full of people of all ages driven by the good news. Driven by it. On a heart level, passionately in love with Jesus. Not because, well, hopefully he'll, you know, he'll help me out if I do that, and I'm kind of manipulating him through it. No, passionately in love with Jesus because he first loved us. Right, that's the driving thing. Heart's responding to what he has done in a church on fire for ministry. On fire for ministry. Okay, here's the second thing. Okay, we must hold firmly to the message of the gospel refusing to fall back in to a works-based mentality. Refusing to go back down that road again. Verse 3, take a look. It says, But even Titus, who was with me, he was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, okay, to them we do not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. For you. Okay, I kind of told you that we'd be coming back to Titus, right? Well, well, here he is. Okay, that he was not forced to be circumcised was a big deal. Okay, this was a really big deal. Okay, because it was proof that, that the apostles themselves in Jerusalem were holding firm to the gospel message. Okay, see, see, Titus, okay, Titus was a Greek. Okay, meaning that he was He was a gentile. He was was non-Jewish. Okay, but the the Jerusalem apostles, what ethnicity were they? They were Jews, right? They were were Jewish. And and so they they grew up immersed in in Judaism. And you know, circumcision was was a very important component of the law. Being being circumcised was, was an old testament sign that you were one of God's chosen. And so it was a really important thing that would happen to, uh, to firstborns or uh, to, to their males at eight, on eight, at the eighth day that they were born. The okay, circumcision was, was huge. Okay, but here, what's happening? Okay, these Jerusalem ap- uh, apostles here, okay, they were putting their money where their mouth was. Okay, they were putting their money where their mouth was. They were correctly teaching that salvation was purely an act of grace that we receive by faith. Okay, it's not by works of the law, okay, not at all. Okay, and when confronted with, a, with an opportunity to, to revert back into law-based based living and, and to make Titus feel as though he had to become culturally Jewish like us and get circumcised in order to be truly pleasing to God, when they had the opportunity to do that, they stood their ground. They stood firm and actually lived out what they believed. They refused to fall back into a works-based mentality by insisting that Titus become like one of them culturally. Okay, this was a, this is a mammoth win for the church. Okay, this, this was huge, huge, huge for them. And it was, a, it was a devastating blow to these false teachers that were slipping in, obviously right here in Jerusalem. Paul hints at that. And then, of course, we know that it was happening back at our church in Galatia. Okay, because these guys held firmly... To the truth of the gospel, and they didn't let go of that, the message was preserved for the, uh, those congregations and, of course, preserved uh, for believers everywhere, including us. Now, in, in, a, in an effort to kind of you know, contextualize this for us today, because again, the issues for us aren't circumcision and uh, food laws and all of that, so good question to ask. What are, the, you know, or what are some of the works based mentalities that churches today can fall into. Okay, what are some of these works-based mentalities? And we're going to have these on the screen, just two of them. Okay, here's the first one. Elevating our traditions to non-negotiables. Elevating our traditions to non-negotiables. Okay, a couple examples of that. How about about music style in the church? (laughs) Right, you ever, you know, you've heard about this before. You've been in the church for decade after decade. You've heard about the worship wars and, you know, it's wrong to have drummers and, you know, we shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be loud, and we shouldn't be, you know, a different style of music that, that I like, and, you know, there's this tradition of a certain style of music in the church, and, and instead of just kind of holding that loosely, and kind of going with whatever style kind of reaches the most people, and does all that, instead of that, no, I'm gonna hold firmly to this, and these traditions that I've, that I've got, I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise those to non-negotiables, non-negotiables, it's style of music, things like that, gotta have that style, it's, it's um, clothing, okay. clothing in the church. You remember back in you know, the old school days where it was like everybody has to wear a suit, right? Everyone has to. And a pastor has to wear a tie. I think I've worn a tie like once here, right? And, and, and that's what it used to be. And there used to be this thing where you've got to wear you know, your Sunday best, right? As though God cares about what's on the outside, right? I think the scriptures talk about that quite a bit, right? We want, we want our church to be where, where people can be comfortable. If you want to wear a suit, awesome, if you want to wear like shorts and a t-shirt or whatever, go for it, right? We don't want to, we want to, don't want to, to hold our, our traditions too high here. How about this one, position on alcohol? It's been very traditional that, that churches just stay away from alcohol uh, completely and call it sin, even in the tiniest little amount. Again, I sense a whole sermon coming here. I'm just going to kind of leave that. We'll get to that another time. No, seriously, though, I'm excited to get into that one at some point. All right, I really am. But again, these are traditions that we, we have, to, you know, to be a real Christian, you, can't, you also can't drink. Or you also got to have like a three-piece suit and a cane and a top hat and a, I don't know. Okay, how about this one? Second one here. Here's another workspace mentality that churches can fall into. It's making secondary issues primary issues. Okay, kind of similar to what we just talked about the first time. But, but there are secondary Non-core to the gospel beliefs in the Scripture, non-core doctrines, you know, and, and, and making sometimes we make these secondary things main things. Like you have to believe, you know, this about speaking in tongues or or end times, you know. And if you if you don't believe in these things and what we say about it, then you are not a true Christian. You want to be a real Christian? You better believe my pet theology, okay? Now listen, I want to say this. These, these two that I just gave you especially, but lots of others, they're very important issues and things that we need to think carefully through and have positions on. It's not like none of it matters. If it wasn't in the scriptures, or if it's in the scriptures, it means that, that it does matter, all right? But they're not, they're not essential beliefs that you must hold to to be saved. Okay, it's not, it's not, remember our equation, Jesus plus nothing equals everything? That's the gospel, right? So it's not Jesus plus correct belief about blank, again, hobby horse theology equals everything. Okay, that's not what it is. Okay, so these are different ways that we as the church today can fall back into a works-based mentality. We need to actually have this. We want to be true Christians or real Christians. Or go to the next level. All of that is just nonsense. All right? So how do we guard against this? How how do we stop ourselves from falling back into these works-based mentalities? Or whatever your works-based temptation and mentality uh, might be. Well, here's three ways. Three ways. First of all, love the biblical gospel. Love the biblical gospel. We're talking about the gospel all through this series. We talk about it all the time. Every single Sunday here at our church. But here's the thing. You need to love it. You need to love the Lord behind the message. Okay, it's not just you know, cerebrally making sure that you've got you know, the eight points of the gospel locked in your mind so that if the pastor you know, catches me and corners me and he asks me about it, I'm never doing this, by the way, but if he asks me about it and I'm gonna know it and I could answer it correctly on a test, right, that's not what it is. It's your heart engaged by it, your heart impact. You gotta love it, love the biblical gospel, yeah, which means you've got to think about it. You've got you to stew on it. You've got to pray through these things. You've got to get your questions answered if you're not sure about something or something's confusing. You've got to love it. Becoming intimately familiar with God's character and who he is and what he's done. Okay, that'll, that'll stop you from falling back into work-based mentality. Here's a second one. You need to identify your legalistic tendencies. Right? Well, I don't want to fall back into legalism. Well, the first step is knowing what those legalistic tendencies are, right? If you're not sure where you fall into all of those, guess what? You're going to keep falling into them, right? So you've got to identify those and, and figure out what are, what are the things that, that I insist on that, that I actually don't really need, that aren't really as important as I think they are, you know, or, or how am I trying to earn my salvation? And again, we often get into like the, the check marks, tick a box, you know, style of relationship with God. Well, I, I got up and I read my Bible this morning, therefore ah, I'm good, right? Therefore, I'm good. And, and you're more excited about the fact that you opened the Bible as opposed to what's actually, what you actually read, right? And, and what the Lord is actually doing in your life. And so you post it, you know, the picture, you know, online. You got the nice coffee there and a plants. And, you know, you're, you're showing people, right? You're showing people, look, I've been in the Bible, right? You're more excited about that than actually what the, what the, what the Bible is teaching you. That might be a legalistic tendency for you. Here's a, Here's kind of an easy one to pick on. It's a little bit old school for sure. Hats. Hats in church. Right? We, we shouldn't have hats in church. Right? We need, to, we need to show reverence and we need to show respect. And we need to have all of that. Right? Hey, is, is that in the Bible? D- does, does, like, does Paul and Peter spend like an inordinate amount of time talking about thou shall not wear hats in church or at youth or anything like that? No. That's a cultural tradition. That's right? a cultural thing. That guess what? Culture today just doesn't care about it all. Right? And so we, we don't want to. If if here's another way of finding out what your legal tendencies are: what gets you riled up and ticked off? Okay, I can't believe that that student wears a hat, right? Or that guy doesn't wear a suit, or that guy, you know, whatever it might be. Okay, those are those are legalistic tendencies. You got to ask yourself: if what I, is what I'm fired up about and excited about here even remotely important? Is it remotely at all? Listen, it's not, I was like, really tempted to wear a hat today during the sermon. Just rattle some cages. But I thought, you know, too far. We might get there, all right? We're like, sit on a couch and just be relaxed. I won't do it, all right? Identify your legalistic tendencies, third one. Confess these things. Okay, confess these things and thank God for his grace. It's important to identify all of this and to love the gospel but make sure that you're actually dealing with the sin piece, right? You want to confess that to the Lord, thank him for his grace, invite him into the, you know, the Lord, this, this thing isn't right. I, I, I do care about just, about just the, the optics of reading the Bible as opposed to what I'm actually gleaning from it. I'm legalistic in this. I come to church four days a week and therefore think that I deserve a week off. Right? I, I'm legalistic about all this. I'm, I'm using all of this as a way to, to earn something from you or, or put you in my, in my debt. God, look what I have done. Now you owe me. right, Lord, I am legalistic. Would you forgive me? Lord, I want to confess this before you. I want to be super, just lay it before you. Lord, ask for you and your grace to come and transform me and change my heart. Right? You start to do this time and time again, and you're faithful in this. You're going to love the gospel. You're going to stop falling back into these works-based mentalities that it was not just true for the Galatian church. It's, you know, it's very real for us as well, just in different ways. Right, here's the last thing. Last thing. We must hold firmly to the gospel, recognizing the global impact that God intends for it to have. Right, the global impact here. First of all, verse 6, take a look. It says, from those who seem to be influential... Okay, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Okay, he's talking about the the apostles now. That's what Paul's referring to. He said, those who I say seemed influential added nothing to me, meaning that they did not add anything to my gospel of grace alone. Okay, they didn't add works to it. They didn't force Titus to be circumcised, all of that. They added nothing to me. On the contrary when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, okay, so to Gentiles, that was Paul's main mission, I'm gonna go reach this people group, okay, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, okay, so to the Jewish population, uh, Peter was going after them, okay, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that we wanted to do. I was eager to do it. Now, would you agree that as awesome as the transforming work of the gospel is and can be in my heart, okay, would you, uh, would you agree that it's true, that its impact is supposed to extend way beyond little, old me? Would you agree with that for yourself? For sure. Okay, never forget that as, as much as the Lord loves you as a person, as an individual, okay, as much as he loves you, and he wants to change your heart through all of that. He wants to root your identity in his son. He, he wants to give you confidence in him where, where fear and insecurity, you know, once ruled. As much as he wants to do all of this and more in your life, okay, he, he's also doing these things to shape you, to use you for further ministry on more of a global perspective. He wants to use you for his kingdom, He wants to use you to play a role in having this this impact that he intends to have with his gospel. Okay, but listen, listen. I'm telling you right now, it is very hard for us to grasp this. It's very hard. Why? Because we're so deeply enamored and entrenched in our inherent self-righteousness. Right? We really are. We're so self-centered and self-focused. Paul, Barnabas, Titus, James, Peter, John, right? They were all amped up about taking this good news out to the Gentiles, taking this news out to the Jews and, and seeing the Lord do a great work. And you see how excited they were? They wanted to meet physical needs as well and care for the poor. They were they were jacked about, about ministry. Okay, but what, what do we tend to care about? Ourselves. Right, and, and our comfort and, and, and what we want most of all, our agendas. And when that's the case, we we tend to do things and kind of pat ourselves on the back about it. Hey, look at me, I'm 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 involved in ministry. You know, and we you know, we write a check to sick kids hospital or something because someone knocks on our door asking for it. And we're like, Hey, look what I've done. You know, where we put together a shoebox or two at Christmas time and send it off to some kids in, you know, a third world country. And listen, there's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm not saying all of that, but listen, it is a far cry from being from being consumed with the mission of Jesus Christ to make disciples. Right? It's a far cry from that. Maybe like, why why are we like this? Why are we like this? It's because our hearts don't hold hold firmly to the gospel. Our hearts don't hold, don't hold on to it Paul Barnabas, Titus, the other apostles they, they, they weren't any more special than us. they didn't have you know this, this special ability within themselves to carry you know, all of this out. no the difference is that their hearts burned for the gospel. they loved Jesus Christ they, they couldn't believe that that Jesus would save them and, and and invite them into this life-giving relationship with them where they would have heaven waiting for them forever, and in the meantime, hey, get out and do some awesome work for me. They couldn't believe that they were a part of that, and they're like, let's do it. Let's go for this. They were psyched that the reality that Jesus Christ saves sinners and loves them passionately. He said, why are we going through this book? Why are we going through Galatians? Why are we spending time talking about the gospel and diving deep in it, it's because as our, as our hearts begin to you know, kind of warm up to it and you know that, that cold numbness begins to melt. Again, think cold kayak hands, right? When our hearts start to melt like that and soften, they begin to function properly, don't they? And we're like, we're warming ourselves at the fire of the gospel and being made new. And what what, end, what ends up happening is that we begin to realize that from the heart we realize this, that the gospel is, is about so much more than just fixing me. Yeah, God wants to do it. And yeah, he is faithful to do it. But it's also about fixing others. There's a huge world out there, and God wants to use you. He wants to use this church. It's not about eyes inward, eyes focused, forget about everybody else. No, there's... There's a ripe mission field out there. And the Lord wants to use us, and he intends to use the gospel to to make a huge impact in the world all around us. Isn't it amazing that we get to be a part of all of that? And as the gospel, again, starts to soften our hearts, and we're holding on to it, we're clinging to it, we're no longer driven by this, well, I guess I'd better do it because God tells me to love my neighbor, so I'll say hi to him in the driveway once and feel good about it. No, I'm going to want to! My heart's going to be excited about this. I will do anything necessary, Lord. Whatever you tell me to do, whatever you call me to sacrifice, wherever you tell me to go, I will do it because you are awesome and the gospel compels me to do it. But it's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from the heart or it will die on the vine. Right? If it's just an external thing, if it's just a behavior thing, if it's a legalistic thing, if we're not holding on to the gospel, we won't do it. And so we want to hold, hold firmly to this. And I believe we're getting there, church. Right? This is a process. Like I said, I'm, I'm putting myself right there with you. And I'm like, I was, I was telling our worship team as we were praying for you and for this service, I'm like, I wake up and my, heart, my heart's slow to get this. My heart is slow to absorb it. And I often feel like when I'm praying and when I'm, you know, even when I'm preaching, I've got like spurs on and I'm like kicking myself. Come on, man, wake up. Right? Do you sense that about yourself too? We need to wake up here and and we need to get there. But listen, it's fun to think about this. It's fun to think about what the Lord is going to do. I can't wait to see it. Again, all ages, imagine Harvest Kids, imagine youth, young adults, adults, all of us here just excited the gospel is driving us forward. It's going to be because we're holding firmly to it. So I want to pray right now. I want to ask him to keep driving the good news of the gospel deep down in our hearts.